Welcome to Two Rivers, Two Takes, where we are going to review episode four of the first season of Wheel of Time. I'm Daryl. And I'm Philip. And this is our second go around. So the first time we recorded, our audio file was corrupted and smashed together with the previous episode. Which is not ideal. So here we are again, redoing episode four, giving you our two takes. Yes, and this is going to be even better than the first time. So don't worry about that lost file. It wasn't worth it. It's true. So here we are, episode four. We have a flashback to the war in Geldan. Yeah, so it was interesting to see this different location in the world. I mean, um, I think you mentioned when we were discussing this off air that this is a location that we'll actually see in the books way far down the line. Right. And it's, well, it's sort of tucked out of the way. It's not one of the main powers in the world. It's not like Tear or Andor or Carrion or the Borderlands. It's sort of tucked off to the side. There's a little bit of trading downriver, but it has its own architecture compared to other places that we've seen so far, too. It's very Teutonic in its look, um, and it's a place that doesn't see a whole lot of action until much later in the book series. And this ties into a conversation that Perrin was having in the tavern in the first episode where there were rumors of something's going down in Gaelden. Exactly, that there was a false dragon there, that it was at war. And Gaelden is over, I think it crosses a river and it's through... The uh, not Markwood, that's the Lord of the Rings thing, but a forest with an ominous name, um, on from the other side of the two rivers. So it's fairly close geographically, so people in the tours would be freaked out by it. But the way to actually get to the two rivers is so roundabout that they wouldn't have to worry too much, and that that's how why they'd have to rely on news coming in from the outside. Mm -hmm. So we see. The king of Gaelden being confronted by Loghain. Yes, and in terms of the power, Loghain is doing really great. He um, is very speedy. He doesn't rely on the hand motions uh, that we've seen with the other Aes Sedai, or with the Aes Sedai, I should say, since Loghain is not one of them. But we also see more of the corruption and the taint on the power, where he starts with the same wispy light fog that the ASDI have, but within a few seconds, it's covered by this sort of slimy darkness. Yeah. To show the corruption. We also get to see his madness in two figures whispering in his ear, which in the past week has spawned some really great memes. Yes, just going to put that out there. Yeah, and <laughs> even the official account has uh, put out some really good memes. So Amazon is doing a great job, continuing to do a great job of um, really working alongside fan culture to promote the series. And um, something that happened in the past week is they posted some stuff from Rotten Tomatoes where the show is certified fresh. So that means they have gotten a certain number of positive reviews oh, good for them. to say that, hey, it's legit, it's real good. And also, I think also coming from Rotten Tomatoes, which is tracking 
um, viewership and things like this, Wheel of Time is the number one streaming series right now, which you love to see it when it's something that um, for you, you've been waiting half your life plus to see this on the screen to know that there is such a growing fan base for the material. I did not do that aged math, so thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is true, and it's something that when we went to the screening in D.C. in the theater, um, the guy behind the King of Melchior on Twitter, who sort of hosted the event and gave a little talk at the very beginning, mentioned how long it's been that people have been waiting for some sort of movie, series, TV thing, something to bring these books into live action. And it, it kind of has been a while, so I think... That's exciting for the long-time fans to see. This isn't just going to be a one-off, oh no, it, it tanked. It'll be more sustained. It has the potential to go maybe all the way. Yeah, and um, for another fantasy series that some people are comparing this to, Lord of the Rings. So uh, Fellowship of the Ring came out 20 years ago this month. And that is, one, horrifying that it's been 20 years <laughs> But two, I remember a similar amount of excitement from all walks of life when that was coming out. Like, my dad loved reading those books when he was growing up, and then I read them. So I'm hoping that Wheel of Time is also tapping into that cross-generational mass appeal sort of thing. And it seems like it is. Yeah, the book's been around for a while, and the people that we saw in that line were not just younger folks it was an array of ages which was nice to see and it wasn't just people who were deeply into it because we saw people who were cosplaying and fully immersed into it mm -hmm. but this book series can be very hard to get into it can seem very inaccessible just by the nature that there are 14 volumes in the series that's a lot for someone to take on and they're thick books with two c's yeah so um, it it's good to hear everything that Amazon is really pushing out about the series. I wouldn't be surprised if they gave the green light for a third season when this season wraps up. We know that they're already in the midst of filming season two. I really wouldn't be surprised if they just said, we are just going to roll right into filming season three, um, which is a good model for a fantasy series. Lord of the Rings did it. They filmed everything at one time and then did pickups later. Um, this would be a good opportunity to just keep that cast together and keep them continually working on the material so they can keep pumping out seasons. And we've seen in the show choices that are made that are sort of widely different from the books. And I'm chalking that up to the fact that they need to translate what works written onto a different medium so that it fits within an episode arc within itself and keeps the interest up and still introduces this immense and very complex world in manageable chunks. So as long as they can keep barreling through but without sacrificing any of the complexity and writing themselves into a corner, that would be pretty awesome. Yeah. Fun fact, I saw Lord of the Rings seven times between actual movie theaters and drive-ins. So. Fellowship or? Fellowship. Okay. 
So this tracks for why I'm so into this show. So uh, speaking of things that aren't necessarily in the books, a lot of this episode is sort of telling a story based off of ideas or notions in the book, um, but not using the strict written word as their guiding principle. Right. We get an ace that I hear that we, is not included in the books, that we also get reds and greens working together, which we'll get, a, I think, a bit more of the dynamic throughout the episode between reds and greens and how they don't actually like each other. Um, yeah. And so what... this whole aside thing with Moraine's injury needing to be healed. Yeah, so a lot of the action takes place in the Aes Sedai camp, but I want to save that maybe for discussing last, because that's where we see the most development in terms of story. Um, we do pick up with Egwene and Perrin with yes. the Tinkers. So um, we see a bit more color in their wagons. Yes, we've been waiting for the outfits that make us wish we had taken some Dramamine when we look at them. In the books, they're so bright, so clashing, that it should be a relative eyesore. But I keep coming back to this idea that in this day and age, things have to be dark and gritty and rrr. And that's sort of reflected in outfits that would otherwise be terribly bright and sunny and without any regard to what colors go together or what patterns go together. It should... It goes from a drag queen's closet to the dark and gritty version of that. <laughs> yes, so we should see um, one of our favorite drag queens, Demanda Martini, in the D.C. area. Shout out, Demanda. Um, we should be seeing something that Demanda would roll out in and just crush, but instead it's way more subdued. So yes. um, we do get a bit more background on the way of the leaf. Which is great. It's not the metaphor I was expecting them to use when they talk about, like, what happens when you're attacked. I thought that Hila would have gone for the metaphor of if these other people are the axe and we're the tree, eventually that axe will be so dull to be useless, regardless of how many trees are cut down. Um, and instead, we get some backstory from her, why she's taking care of Aram so directly, but also... An interesting take on revenge and vengeance, where if these people's goal is death and violence, that to get revenge, Ela must lead a life of peace and stay alive and sort of stick it to them in that way. So it's a little bit different than what I was expecting. It was a little bit darker and not quite that pure peace non-violence pacifism that I was expecting. Yeah. Um, I really got her maternal instincts coming through, and not just because she's talking about being a mother, but um, just the caretaking aspect of her character. And that the caretaking is really something that is pervasive throughout the society. That whoever is in their traveling group is a member of their family. And they're going to take care of them, and they expect that they will be taken care of in turn. Yeah. And it sort of goes back to the, the nasty rumors that Aram mentions where 
like, oh, we've come to fix your pots and steal your children, where people may feel an affinity towards the way of the leaf and then join. And the people in the community that was left may be like, oh, they're stealing our people away. Um, when really it's just people realizing, hey, I want to be a part of this lifestyle and I don't want to add to the violence of the world. Yeah. And we still get a little bit more of the song that the Tinkers are looking for, which is also great and important. Um, I'm really hoping that we get to the eye of the world. And eventually, I'm trying to do this without spoiling things, where we learn that the Tinkers, the Tuatha'an, are one half of a coin, and we need to set up everything for that one half so that when it's revealed what the counter group is, why it's so devastating to learn, if that makes sense. Sure. I mean, I don't know, but I'm going to trust <laughs> your instincts um, from your experience with the story that it's worth the payoff. Um, because they are investing a lot of time in building this culture. They're getting a multi-episode arc, and that is not necessarily the case with some of the stuff from the first few books, that they're touching on it, and then they're cruising right past it. They throw out something, it might be a line or two, and then it's over. So this is something that obviously the writers think we need to know a lot about, and that tracks with what you're saying. And it seems more than just creating something to put the information out there for a TV audience instead of letting it build in the books. Like other things that we've seen where they change up how it is in the book to make it fit for a TV situation, this seems more than that. So I'm really hoping that we do get that big payoff, which may not come until like when it starts to reflect books four and five, but is still integral enough where it makes sense to do now. Sure. And it replaces Elias and the wolves. Yeah. So um, I I think at the end of this season, we're going to have to do an episode where we just discuss things that did not come up <laughs> and, and things we're sure won't come up in future seasons because they could be pushing some of the stuff that we're noticing. Maybe it's second season material. Um, yeah. There are some things that we know for sure are going to be in the second season because the writers didn't want to just throw them into the first season for like one scene. So we know that they're striking a balance with some of this stuff. You mean the Andorran Royals perhaps? Yes. <laughs> um, so that's basically Egwene and Perrin in this episode. They're just continuing on their path. Yes. Other things of note, Maybe that Aram is proving to be super charming. He's he's hot stuff and he knows it and he's working it. Yeah, he is. Um, then we go to Rand and Matt and Tom. They're doing their own thing. They're going to a farm, trying to find some shelter. And this is exactly one of those instances of taking elements from the books and reconstructing them, squishing them in a way that it covers what would have been a couple chapters worth into one TV episode. So that was, I thought, was well done. They approach this farm. They're trying to figure out how to get shelter. The farmer sort of catches them scoping it out and land on a work trade, basically. Yeah. 
where in exchange for mucking out the stables, they'll get some bread. And by they, I mean Rand and Matt, because Tom is a gleeman and has more important things to do than shovel some poop. Yes. Um, Which is on brand for a gleeman to be like, no thank you to this manual labor. I will supervise, and that is my contribution to this important work. Yeah, and their portion in the books, they are just... They bop around from, like, farm to farm to tavern to farm for several hundred pages. So I'm glad that they sort of <laughs> condensed it because we don't need to see more than one instance of this to know what they're sort of going through on this journey. Right. The one haystack looks, will look just like another. Right. And Matt is sort of feeling the effects of the dagger that he stole from Shadar Logoth. It's still unknown the others that he has it um, but he gets has this sort of slimy that evilness coming out of his mouth as he gets sick next to a trough which he covers up well and then but then he has an interaction with a small child and it's like dude you you were just throwing up like don't talk to small children when you, you have that on your breath yeah go rinse your mouth out find some uh, farm listerine ick <laughs> icky poo but that is happening with Matt, and it's also a little bit odd because it's a more physical effect and less psychological. Rand is acting more suspicious, and Matt's sort of taking it in stride, rather than the evil of Aridal corrupting Matt until he's super paranoid and super sort of on guard. No one get near me. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, it was a little bit odd but we do see later on that there's this nice distinction between the evil of Aridol versus the evil of the dark one yeah but before we get to that tom has also been noticing weird behaviors in matt and thinks that matt can channel so here we get some of tom's backstory as to why he's being so helpful in a way that he may not otherwise be despite the whole Get out of, we need to get out of town because there's a dark friend. I'm bonding with you over looting this body. Yes. Which in itself was just very bizarre. It, it really was. So I, I'm glad we're not sort of delving into that this episode because <laughs> it just, it for the whole thing, it just is striking a wrong chord with me with Tom. Oh, and, I see what you did there. <laughs> chord, musician, har har. He's still a very sad gleeman. He's a sad man. and A gleeman without the glee. Yeah, I, I'm i still not sold on his character. Um, the actor is doing a great job with what has been written for him. Obviously, he didn't come up with it. He's doing a really good job acting. It's just not the type of writing I expected for this character, which is sort of disappointing. Yeah, because with he doesn't have the iconic mustaches and the I'm if I'm going to do something, I need an audience for it and grandiose and I don't get the sense that he's bopped around from being like a high court bard type yeah. to a traveling gleeman and like carrying that showmanship. I was expecting more like carnival magician. To some extent, instead of, Arr. yeah. So that's my Tom sound effect <laughs> for you for the world. Um, Rand has a nightmare. Um, while violence happening in it. Yeah, Perrin is hammering at a corpse. Matt is looking despondent, 
Edwin gets grabbed by the fiery-faced man. Yeah, the the dark one. And he wakes up. Yeah, presumably the dark one. Yes. He wakes up, and Matt is nowhere to be found. They go to the house, and they find that the family has been murdered. And they think it's Matt, because he's looking real creepy, just standing there, like head askance, looking up. And he, in a very creepy voice, says, I see you. And the fade pops out. So this is that great, like, the evil of Aridol is, well, evil is also at odds with the evil of the Dark One. Mm-hmm. They don't like each other. Yeah. That's why Trollocs and Mirdral will not willingly go into Shadar Logoth. And why Matt's, like, can point out exactly where this fade is in the shadows, where no one else would be able to see him, or see the fade. Brandon and Matt, they skedaddle out of there. They are, they're gone. Yeah. They're like Tom, girl, bye. <laughs> we got places to be. Well, Tom fends off with Spade, and we just, we leave him to his fate for right now. To be fair, that is how it happens in the book. Only it's in a city tavern instead of a farmhouse, but yeah. it works for the situation. And it still gives you that same sort of cliffhanger moment with Tom that you get in the book. So that was really great. Yes. So uh, we are done with them for this episode, and I'm not really sad about it, because we have maybe the the bulk of the episode, um, and I think the best part are the Aes Sedai yes. components. There is a fun Easter egg, though, in the little doll that the farmer's daughter gives to Matt to protect him, and it's Brigitte, the warrior of note who constantly gets spun back out from the wheel. And even though she has all these different lives, there are some constants. She's always an archer. She's always badass. She's always, or typically has her braids. Um, She gets a love interest in most of her lives. That's also the same sort of hero. And she's great. I can't wait to see if Brigitte comes out in the show eventually. Mm. Well, she, I mean, she's a hero of renown, so again, try not to spoil things. But that was a nice, fun Easter egg for that character to come out in Little Doll form. Yes. Yes. So the Aes Sedai camp, they, um, they have some nice tents, and in one of those tents, Moraine is healed, finally. Yes. She gets rid of her tainted, trolloc-infested puncture wound and the way they talk about it even though she was about to die it doesn't seem to be that complicated of a healing but it still takes a toll on the green that has healed her karini because they have this thing where they've captured Loghain from the prologue but only karini leandrin and alana are strong enough to shield him on their own so, and it takes two of them at the same time. Right. So they've been running themselves ragged, trying to keep him under control, because the Amaralyn seat has said, you must bring him back to the tower. Like, it's tower law that there needs to be a trial, that he's found to be a false dragon, and then he can be severed from the one power. And it's... I have some questions with the physics of the power in this episode, but I'll try to save all of those things towards the end. Um... But we do get some nice dialogue between Karini and Moraine, 
between some of the warders, and they're trying to suss out, like, why is this blue out here wandering the wild? And why some... is she allowed to with... do that? Yeah. And with some random villager in tow. So, not only does Karini try to get information from Moraine, Moraine's friend from the tower, Alana, also does that, like, in a very sly, like, what was the name of the pet you had in the tower? Which was a great moment. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love Alana as a character, and she still has her Arafel and Bells in her hair, so that's fun. We, I like her two warders. They seem like good people. Yes. And then Leandrin also tries to get information, but she goes a little sideways and heavy-handed. She goes for Nynaeve to be like, oh, why are you, who are you? Why are you here? I couldn't I tell from your accent. <laughs> and was like, that's because you haven't heard me speak. Like, get out of here. Which is one of those things where just like, if you haven't heard her speak, how do you know she has an accent that you can't place? Or if that's just like a really bad pickup line that Leandrin is trying to use to get Nynaeve to speak to her. Oh, it's 100% a bad pickup line. Like, she does not have any sort of finesse. And on brand for a red. Yes. So she's making a play, an early play for Nynaeve and is like, oh, well, it, you can come to our tent. No boys allowed. And you can eat with <laughs> us. And Nynaeve's like hard pass. Thank you. It's also kind of fun that Leandrin said that when Lan was right there of like, here's a special invitation for you. Well, I'm clearly excluding this other person who's standing right here because he's a warder and reds don't do that. Leandrin's just the worst. Like, the worst. I can't stand her character. <laughs> but I love watching her. Like, I love to hate her. Yes, Kate Fleetwood is doing a great job with this character. We're just like, I just don't like you. Like, you're sort of compelling and everything and I don't... I like seeing your interactions. I just love to hate you. Yeah. yeah. So we get some of the Aja dialogue between them all, where not only does Leandrin drop some shade on blues, but also Alana does too, when she's trying to get information out of Moraine. Because Moraine is like, oh, look at you trying to be sneaky. You should have been a blue. And Alana goes off on... A, only one water could never be enough. <laughs> Good for you, girl. And also, that greens are the battle Aja, ready to stand against the forces of the Dark One. And it, I like the dimension that Alana gave, where she said that she's proud to be a green, but she wasn't expecting the last battle to occur in her lifetime. Yeah. And she's picking up the sense that it might. Like, this is another false dragon. One of the pieces from the books that I was hoping for is this sense of the pattern pushing people and the threads of their lives in certain directions. And in the books, Moraine says the pattern is demanding a dragon because instead of, like, one every 30 years, you get... They've had, like, three in the past five or something like that. Mm -hmm. And... If it's evident to Moraine, it would also be evident to Alana. And for her to be like, yeah, I'm ready. I'm amazing because I'm agreeing. 
but also I didn't expect this to happen so soon or in a time that I would be alive to deal with it. It's been 2,000 years since the Ajas were established, mm -hmm. so... Yeah. yeah, we're getting some really good development for different Aes Sedai and what their personalities entail so that we can really, we can start picking out who we actually like and who we don't. And I didn't expect that from this season. Um, I thought we would just see a lot of Moraine, which don't get me wrong, give me all the Moraine. But I didn't expect to be introduced to so many different personalities and have them fleshed out in this manner. Yeah, because they don't show up until the second book. The only other ASDI we meet is in a plotline that we know they cut out for the TV series because it would have only been a hot second and, like you said, not worth delving into for just a few scenes yep. in one season. Yes. And so we, in the books, it's only Moraine and... This actually is kind of nice. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It, it's introducing us and fleshing out the magical element of everything so that this is a, definitely a fantasy series. It's not just an action series. Yes. And we get us, we can see some of the power being woven. It's just so curious, some of the changes that they've made to how the power power the source mm -hmm. and channeling works because you shouldn't need two individual shields on Loghain it according to the books like it's just one shield and you can link different ASDI together so even though there are four reds four greens and one blue in Moraine to maintain that shield they should be using utilizing the weaker ASDI but like in a group of three or four. Right. Because a link, a full link of 13, it doesn't matter how strong the guy is. Like, a guy would never be able to push through a shield that's woven by 13 linked ASDI. That's just one of the physical properties or magical properties of the power. But instead you get it reduced to only two individual shields. Like, it, that sort of bothered me. Because you have the folks in the background clearly... Yeah, they're just wandering around. Like, a lot of these weaker Aes Sedai, or less experienced Aes Sedai, they're just kicking it. They're having a great time at camp. Right? Um, they're like, let's wander around with my warders a little. Let's sit around some fires. It's it's fine. I do really like that Nynaeve has found her place at the warder fire. That She's a little taken aback that Alana's two warders are a together and that she has two of them mm -hmm. and she's like are they all what's happening <laughs> and the other warders just laugh um but it also helps create a bond between her and lan because in the books lan is very taciturn he just sort of sits there and when there's a spark of a romantic interest you're like where did this even come from but at least the the way that they're building it in the show makes a lot more sense yeah. Where he has a moment where he's praying for the Seven Towers of Malkir, and it sounds like Nanaif sort of knows vaguely about Malkir and what happened to it. And then in exchange, he tells her what the meaning is of the final prayer that her parents left her before they died. Mm -hmm. And 
you can tell that that learning what that means that the land goes to the children so that they can always embrace us and hold us um it was a really sweet moment and even though he was land did a really good job of walking away letting Nynaeve have that moment because it clearly affected her greatly and respecting her privacy to let her have that yes so that was really good yeah it's the relationship development between the two of them they invested in a few scenes in this episode between the two of them so you're getting to know them as people and they're not one-dimensional right that's what's really nice you can see that Nynaeve is a badass but she also can be caring and very sweet yes in a way that she's not sort of allowed to in her position as a wisdom yes in that leadership position yep so we get more scene sort of these two off scenes uh, we had the Alana and Moraine we have Karini and Moraine we have Karini and Leandrin and eventually we get a scene between Moraine and Lan which is great for many reasons Maureen has been so inscrutable. There's sort of the, in the books, it's always talked about how is that I have such schooled features to always seem calm, regardless of what's happening around them. And you really get that sense from Maureen. Rosamund Pike has done a really fantastic job with everything. Um, but also when she's interacting with other characters, not to give anything away in terms of nonverbals. Mm-hmm. Unless it's something that the other person is expecting, like she shares a small smile with Alana, um, because a lot she's one of those fiery greens, so <laughs> it's expected and sort of allowed, and that's part of their existing relationship, but never around Karini, who she doesn't know very well, or certainly not Leandrin. And so it not only builds upon this bond between Aesidai and Warder, but also it gives Maureen a chance to not have to be so guarded. It's Lan, her partner, like professional partner, mm -hmm. um, where they're so close, they feel what the other person's feeling and they can have like an honest dialogue and she doesn't have to worry about like, how are other people perceiving me in this moment? And one of the lines of dialogue that I love so much is that the dark one doesn't know who Dragon is or doesn't have any more idea than they do. Which is also reflected in the book, so I was super excited to hear that. I'm really looking forward to a particular dream sequence where there's just sort of like these mounds of clay, and since they all have the same dream, if one of the potential dragons picked up a figure that had an identifying characteristic for them, then the Dark One would know, like, this individual is... The dagger wielder or the wolf brother or the sword wielder um so i was excited for that yeah it's they're setting up a lot of good stuff there's a lot for them to play around with in this season just based on this episode alone they're introducing or continuing to develop many concepts yeah and i love the easter egg where it's sort of like alludes to that dream so the super nerdy folks among us <laughs> can pick up on it and be like ah <laughs> i love that like that's a that's a good developmental moment for the plot yeah so logan breaks out of the shield we get sort of these a couple confrontations 
Harini and Leandrin are knocked out, and Moraine walks in and has a conversation of why should I believe that you are the dragon? Which also works in, from the prologue because Loghain had said to the king of Gildan that A said I should be following me. Like, I have an equal chance of breaking the world or saving the world. Like, they should be part of my following and my group because I'm the dragon. And it sort of plays into that moment and that aspect that Loghain had where Sure, if this ASDI is going to talk to me in a way that I can possibly persuade her to join me and release me, then yeah, I'll talk to her for sure. But we see that it's just sort of a ploy for Karini and Leandrin to recover. We get this moment where it's like the big struggle between the two. Mm hmm Meanwhile, outside, the King of Keldan and the rest of the dragon's army is here. And so the non-shielding Aesidae are out there trying to scare them off, essentially. It's very bizarre to see them using the power as a weapon and people actually being hurt. Mm -hmm. I was expecting more, like, flaming wheels above their heads or lightning strikes to show, like, you clearly don't want to mess with us. Go home. Yeah, but they're just ripping the earth up and flinging it yeah. at these people. And good for Alana, because in the Two Rivers battle, I was so... It makes sense for a pilot episode of a TV show to be like, here's the power, here are all the cool things you can do with the power. But Alana has her defensive weaves set, and she just uses it repeatedly. Like, she doesn't have to move on to, like, fireballs and then lightning and then throwing stones. She's like... I know it works. I'm just going to stick with it and do it. And that lines up where the Aes Sedai are strong in different areas. Right. Which is somewhat surprising from the pilot where Maureen throws fireballs and she rips stones out of things. Like, fire and earth are not her strong suits. She's much more water, air, spirit. There are some feats that she can do where she sort of says, with no small amount of pride, like, there are only a few women who can do it and Certainly not from horseback like I just did. <laughs> or, and her healing powers, like that talent is rooted in spirit and water. So for her to work with fire and earth in that way is a little bit different. Like earth seems to be Alana's go-to. Mm -hmm. um, less clear about Leandrin. Karini what, much I mean, what, what is Leandrin good at? <laughs> I, I have yet to see what she's good at aside from being just a snatch about things <laughs> it's true so we get this confrontation we get the army sort of defeated and the other asdi coming in and karini got hit she took several dice worth of hits yes um and her warder Stepan, is still out there and it's really surprised me because he was so sane they sort of build up in the books this idea that when an ASDI is killed before her warder, that the warder just loses it and goes on, like, full vengeance. Like, rampage mode. Rampage, Like, yes. he, he sees red, and he's just going to murder anything in his path. And we get a little bit of that, because when he gets into the cave, he goes, like, both axes all in on Loghain, which allows Loghain to sort of fire back. Like, the axes puncture the shield that the ASDI are working on and 
it just shoots every all these metal and wooden fragments. People get wounded, lands rotted gets severed. Everyone gets hit except Nynaeve. Yes. Also poor Moraine getting impaled again. Like Yeah, and I think this is a bit of the wheel weaving where they the pattern does not want Nynaeve to be injured, so she isn't. Yes. Because she gets pissed. Like Nynaeve's power comes from her rage, like that allows her to access. She can't channel a wink. If she's calm or any other emotion besides, like, full-on rage. And the fact that Landon's about to die for no good reason, that it's just a waste of life, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like, she's pissed, and she channels, and it makes sense, like, the healing backwash, or if that's the right word. Like, she's focused on Lan, but all these other injured people are in proximity, and so they pick up some of the healing that she's putting out. Mm -hmm. And healing is built out to be, like, super complex, super difficult. Like, Leandrin can't even heal a bruise, A, because she doesn't have any inclination to. Mm -hmm. And also, that's just not her talent. But Nynaeve is built up to have, like, effortlessly do these super complex weaves to heal people, back from the brink when no one else would be able to. And so she does that with Lan in this sort of sunburst of power. And it alludes to the conversation that Moraine and Loghain had, where Moraine is like, you can't be the dragon. The dragon will be radiant like the sun. And Loghain can see this fiery sunburst. This aura. This aura from Nynaeve, and he shouldn't. The male channelers should only get goosebumps, and that should be their only indication when a woman is channeling around them. And a woman can't even see or tell anything about what a man is doing. The only way is for them to shield the man and sort of gauge how hard he's pushing against the shield, which Alana does reference. Mm -hmm. But the idea that Logan can see what Nynaeve did, I feel like shouldn't be happening unless... They're not linked. There's no way that he can see what she did outside of the obvious healing and Lance wounds yeah. closing up. Right. Uh, it's a very intense scene. You see how powerful one of the five can be with the power, mm-hmm. which I think is, is this the first time we see one of them being this powerful? We saw Egwene do a little fire trick. Yeah, she sort of tracks with how person first begins to channel you can do like itty bitty things mm-hmm. with great effort so like the final flash from the crystal like a tiny spark but only through great great effort mm-hmm. but since Nynaeve according to the books has been channeling for some time without knowing it it's why her healing poultices and potions work so much better is because she also adds in a little special sauce mm. of her own healing with yeah. the power so she's done it before so that's why she's able to do have so much power in one go it's not alluded to in the books though and it's not i wish that other people could see that nynaeve could channel and have that reflected in the tv series because it sort of builds up to a lot of great conversations yeah yeah and i think that's pretty much the episode yeah we everyone's healed again i mean except for karini yeah r.i.p but Nynaeve was just sort of left there gasping after her great effort. Um, all the other Aes come in, 
And then they choose to all link up. And Leandrin is in charge of the link. So mm. she goes all out. She severs Loghain from the power, which is technically allowed in the conversation with Karini, where she wants to gentle Loghain then and there. And Karini's like, no, law applies to us. Like, a green shouldn't have to tell a red that. Mm-hmm. Um, and Leandrin counters with, if he somehow got out, we would be within the three O's to gentle him. Because he would be a threat to them or their warders. Yes. Yes. And so she does it. She gets what she wants. We get this sort of releasing of all of the toxic goop and the power sort of receding from Loghain as he's sobbing on the floor. And it sort of tracks with what happened with Tom's nephew in the story from earlier in the episode. Mm -hmm. The nephew was caught by the Reds. Gentled is the guy version of Mm -hmm. being severed. And sort of loses the will to live because the power is so life-affirming. Even, it's it feels very different, male versus female. Which still bothers me that there's no, like, it's so gendered, it's so binary, it doesn't allow for non-binary folks or trans folks. And the way that it's described, like, colors are brighter, you can feel a little puffs of air, you can feel the cracks in the stones around you. Everything is enhanced. And so when you lose that forever, you can sense that it's there, but you'll never be able to hold it again. It's people lose the will to live. And so we see that with him sobbing on the cave floor. Yeah. So uh, that false dragon is apparently taken care of. And that that's where we leave it. Yeah. So... Um, we get some big, I want to, some sort of like big shout outs. Like obviously Rosamund Pike is doing a fabulous job. Mm-hmm. But also Daniel Henney as Lan is fantastic. Zoe Robbins as Nynaeve is fantastic. It's, these characters, or these actors are doing a really good job with these characters, I feel. Like from all these years and years of how I built them up in my head, to see them on the screen, these folks are doing a great job. Yeah, they really are. I'm impressed by the casting. And this is just the tip of the iceberg in terms of emotional points in the stories as well. Right. So it's building, it's making us become more invested in them. Yeah. So, I mean, there are much more intense scenes later on. And I am really looking forward to seeing what these actors do with that material because it's probably going to blow us out of the water. Yeah. Because you feel so invested and... Even if you don't even like the person, like Leandra and I. <laughs> yeah. I'm still invested in her, even yes. though I don't like her. Yeah. All right. So um, we will be back next time to review episode five. We're in the middle of the season right yeah. now, and I can't believe it. It's really gone so quickly because they dropped those first three episodes together. So all of a sudden we are... Four episodes away from the end of the season, I believe. I think there are nine in total, maybe. Yeah. We'll see how good my memory is. Um, But I know that the last episode is dropping December 24th. So um, we don't have that much time left with these characters right now. So I want to see how much material they're going to cover and where we go with the story and where they leave us. Mm. And in our tradition of... The wool head of the week oh, moment. Yes. 
What was yours? Uh, mine is obviously Leandrin for um, inviting Nynaeve to be part of the Bad Girls Club, and Nynaeve wants no part of it. She, um, Leandrin leaves that interaction, and Nynaeve is like, absolutely not. I do not want to go to their tent. That is the stupidest thing ever, and I can see right through her. What about you? I... I don't have a person for it. I just have the moment where Loghain can see what Nynaeve is doing. It just seems so contrary to the whole separation between Sadar and Sadine. Mm -hmm. And linking is the only way to see what the other person is doing, or what the other half of the power is doing. Mm -hmm. Because it becomes pretty integral later on in the series. And it sort of counteracts the sort of rules of magic in this world. Sure. Also the lack of linking. Yeah. Like those, they should have put three or four of those other background ASDI together in one circle to act as a shield. Yep. Let's be pragmatic people. Yeah, they did not use their resources wisely. Yes. All right, so everyone catch us next episode. In the meantime, please follow us on Instagram. We are at Two Rivers Two Takes. Rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. Let us know what your takes are and what your woolhead moments are. Yeah, we really want to hear from you what you enjoyed and what things just confound you at this point. So, until next time, we will see you later. Bye.